0: We have a really great team at Smart Retailing, and one of our newest additions has an interesting history in bicycle retail and helping bicycle retailers. So we invited him to talk about that history and what it's like to go from a Smart Retailing client to a member of the team. And that's what's up next.
1: Um, so, David, we just wanted to get together and talk because it's, it's not like we don't have a lot of people here at Smart Retailing that have significant retail and supply chain experience. But really, I don't you know. David worked had a successful run in retail, uh, but we don't have anybody that spent the time you spent in retail uh, that chose an exit point and successfully moved away gracefully with uh, money in their pockets and, and then didn't just leave, you know, you stuck around and worked with retailers in a consulting capacity to try and share the knowledge and ended up at retail toolkit. And then through the recent merger, here you are at smart detailing on the other side of, you were a smart detailing client. Now you're helping smart detailing retailers. Um, we just want to know more about that. What what got you to retail in the first place? And when was that?
2: So <clears throat> I will try to make the story as short as possible. But um, I started racing BMX bikes. It, you know, as a when I was probably eleven or twelve years old, I wanted to buy cool BMX stuff, um, and I got a paper route, and that paper route was kind of my first introduction to customer service. You put the paper under the porch uh, mat or in the door if it's raining. And I got to do that and ride my bike. So I was mixing my two favorite things. Um, Eventually started working in the local bike shop, tried to buy it, and after 10 years exited that business and my wife and I started ours.
1: I thought you were going to say been.
2: I was ten years old and I was trying to buy the business. And <laughs> I know. No, <laughs> <of years. laughs> I started the business. I started the uh, working in the bike shop in college it, at first, but it, as soon as I walked in the door, I knew this is it. Um, you know, I was getting to do uh, getting paid to talk about bikes and ride bikes with my friends, and it it was always kind of the same thing. So I've always mixed business and bikes basically my entire life, and that's. That's how I ended up, uh, I guess, where I am today.
3: David, were you and your, your wife like the only two employees when you opened the door? So my wife was actually a schoolteacher when we opened the door. So that
2: kind of gave us the safety net. Mm-hmm. She had the insurance, and she was a really avid mountain bike and cyclocross racer at the time. And she decided pretty quickly, I think within about six months that she wanted to come into the business. And we had, I think two or three employees by the time she came in. So the the store started out, we really hit the ground running and, you know, within a few weeks I was hiring people.
3: Nice. nice. Susie, did I see you perk up when cyclocross came up?
0: <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm like, a- it's
1: been, what's it been like 12 hours since you were racing a cyclocross? Bike?
0: Well, I was, I was on my mountain bike, but, um, it was short track. So it's, you know, cyclocross like adjacent. But yeah, I feel like I, I don't, I haven't met David's wife, but I feel like I know her.
3: <laughs> and David, when I started, uh, my first business, the only way I was able to do it is also because my wife had a job with benefits. Uh, so it was, it, it, it made the risk slightly smaller. It comes in handy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Were you both like working around the clock when you first started?
3: Oh yeah,
2: and she was and she was racing, so she was still trying to train. You know, I don't know, fifteen or eighteen hours a week or something like that. We were working 50, 60, 70, hmm. whatever the number was. So it was. I would show up at the store at seven o'clock in the morning and sometimes not get home till midnight the first year, <laughs> um, which is typical, I think. Uh, but we we kind of wrapped our heads around the workload fairly quickly and had some really good staff and things became a little easier um, after the first year. We didn't have to struggle for years doing that, but getting a business off the ground is definitely, you have to be all in or it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And did did so you what, ever feel, Oh, it's, it's, go ahead. Susie.
0: So what year was it that you s- started your own shop or you bought the shop?
2: So, 1991 was when I first started working in, this, in, a, in a bike shop. In that store, I was a, the general manager. We had three stores, and I was the general manager and a minority partner. And I, I realized that I was not going to be able to buy it and pay it off in any short amount of time. So we opened our store in 2001. So we had it for 18 years before we sold it in 2019.
3: How many years did it take you to – well, did you ever figure it out? Or how many years do you think it was before you felt like you were kind of good at it? I would say
2: it depends which part of it did I ever figure out. I never figured out employees. Um, I just <laughs> I was not a I was not a good leader. Um, so thankfully my wife was. Um, she was much better. I, I think at guiding staff from the business standpoint. I would say the last five years I felt like we were really in in high gear and i don't want to say figured it out but we had maximized its potential the last probably five mm-hmm. years ryan that was
1: really good when he, when he said i never figured out employees you didn't go yeah those uh,
3: ones, <laughs> it was in here <laughs> no i'm just kidding that's my favorite part uh you know, talking to customers and working with employees that, that's my. i think i don't know if it's my strength You you, you all can take a little survey after I'm off the line. It, it, it's our turn, guys, not to react when he says that. <laughs>
2: I, I loved I, – there were so many parts of the business that I loved, but there was – you know, it, as employees, I had a few that were really good. I had a few that I struggled trying to figure out how to motivate mm-hmm. them. Um, but we had a lot of high school and college-age employees, as any bike shop does. So the, the struggles were always – they were coming and going. So you're kind of constantly hiring, um, these staff members and then they would leave at the end of the summer and just trying to keep them trained was, was the hard part is I kind of thought, oh, they're just going to jump in and by osmosis, they're going to figure it out. And they were 17 years old. So (laughs) that didn't happen.
1: (laughs) Did you feel like that, uh, that initial store from 91 in those couple of years, were there mentors in that, that you learned from, or, or was it one of those situations where, you got there and just could see better ways to do things.
2: Yeah, it was, the business was sold almost immediately after I started in 1991 and the person that bought it um, was absentee Mm -hmm. and he quickly realized he was in over his head and wanted somebody to take over the business. And I was within, I think about two years I was managing the business while still going to school Mm -hmm. full time. And so it was, it, it was at the time it felt, you know, kind of messy, but it, it really was a great learning experience. So I, I'm thankful that he wasn't interested in running the business. Yeah. What about
3: when you started your own, David, was there anybody kind of in the, those early 2000s that you, or, or even later as you, as the business matured that you, you leaned on for advice? You know, I, I never had a, I think in the,
2: the truest sense of the word, a mentor in the bike industry, other than every bike shop owner. Um, I always loved to see whether it was a multi-store chain or a single small niche bike shop. I, If they were trying, those were my mentors. So I, I, I get in trouble still to this day. If I see a bike shop, I do a U-turn, I want to go in. And... I think I learned something from every single one of them, uh, mentorship wise from a business standpoint was really, um, we had an attorney who was also a customer that became a really good friend and him and our accountant were both, they didn't hold back. They gave us great information and advice on the business side. So business mentorship was actually kind of more professionals that we had in our corner.
0: Cool since you really
2: how did the um oh, sorry a,
0: since you've really uh, gotten to see bicycle retailer retail from you know i guess over the past thirty years is there anything like markedly different now you feel like <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay <laughs> it's 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 all changed um you know you're still selling bikes the the act of of moving a bike in somebody's hand it, it, in that process is is still the same um but I, I think back and I feel so old when I think about it in a way is we were using fax machines and there was no B2B ordering systems. And you, you used a phone, uh, the sales reps came in and they had those IBM paper. I don't even know what those were called that, you know, they folded it out and you were looking to see what the inventory was. And, so, just the the change in technology has been absolutely dramatic um, from then until now, and and it's become much more of a business. And there's less suppliers, so the the relationships are harder to manage, you know, and the, the things have at times gotten a little more adversarial if you are not really aligned with one, one vendor. Um, and that was hard. We had two of the top three vendors in our store. So managing those relationships, um, continually became harder. Um, and it, but you had to do yeah. it.
1: <laughs> was that, was that part of the rationale for the exit? What, what's prompted the exit of, all right, this is, this is the time.
2: I would say there was probably, you know, there was dozens of reasons, but the, the main ones were there was business reasons and personal reasons. Personal, um, we we're in the upper Midwest, and we were so tired of cold, wet, you know, extremely cold and wet, snowy six months of winter. And we wanted to be someplace drier, sunnier, and have more mountain bike and fishing and hiking opportunities. So personally, we just, we really wanted to, to get out of the upper Midwest. Um, business-wise, we felt like we had really maximized our Potential with that business, unless we were going to open up another store, try to try to grow in other ways that would have required us kind of risking what we had built. And it it was at that point that we thought, you know, this is probably a great time to sell. You know, most bike shop owners end up trying to sell or exit when things are bad, so it's hard to get off the train when it's really moving um, and recognize that this is the time because the. You have the the most uh, value in, in the business at that point. Yeah. You know,
1: did, was did the I, consulting thing normal? Did, and did you think of that, or did somebody come to you and say, "Hey, since you're not you're not working anymore, can you help me out?"
2: Oh, that. So uh, I I wrote a couple articles in Bicycle Retailer, and then I was introduced to Brandy Leepak, who was the president of the NBDA at that time. And she was talking about the p two programs, and i don't know I don't know if she was actually ever offering me a job or wanted me to do that I was not- in, I, I wasn't interested in doing the in that particular work but i I said I could have really um, used somebody that I could just call as a retailer you know and have a um somebody in my corner that wasn't, you know, a, one of my vendors or it, whoever, but just a, a, a different party that I could call. And I thought that I could be helpful. And she agreed. So we kind of started the, you know, the P2 one-on-one consulting at that time. And
3: that, David, I know you were a long time smart retailing client and there's a whole, you know, a lot of people on our team that knew you, I'd say relatively well. Um, but that's the time when I really first kind of came aware of you as a thinker is reading your articles in bicycle retailer and uh I want to say that after your first or second article I tracked you down and we 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 talked because I was I just really liked what you had to say um what was that like for you going from you know a, a, you know a successful shop owner to all of a sudden people were looking to you as a thought leader
2: it was it was a little surreal uh, super humbling because i you know i owned an an average sized store we we were outsized i think profitability wise so you know i i was confident in in my skills and information but um there's such a wide variety of retailers out there that it was you know I, i realized quickly that some of the information that I had was rock solid across the board and some of it, you know, there, we, we had some, some lucky breaks too. being in the, you know, being in the upper Midwest, rent was cheaper. Uh, payroll is cheaper. There was, you know, we had some legs up out of the gate that, that maybe people in a, in a different market didn't have. So just trying to adjust to that and, um, acknowledge those differences because I think I came out of the gate at first swinging pretty hard. You know, everybody can do this and and make as much money as we did. Um, but it, that's not necessarily true. But my main, my main goal always was I wanted to help retailers. And I think that one of our first conversations, we both were, were kind of on the same page of one of the, one of the sayings that drives me the most nuts is it takes a million to, or 2 million to make a million in the bike industry. And, it just automatically kind of defeats everybody that this is a noble profession, but that it can't actually be lucrative. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of been my motto since we sold is I'd love to help people realize the the potential of their business. The so
3: success might look different for, you know, every bike shop, but you know, your insights can help each of them in some way, uh, kind of
2: achieve yep. success. Mm-hmm. And I have not had a conversation yet that I didn't learn something. Um, And a lot of times it's big, big things that, you know, each retailer has expertise in their, in their world. And it's, it's pretty impressive. There's, we have a lot of smart people in this industry. I think we can all
3: maybe say the same thing that, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If it wasn't for our customers, we wouldn't know half of what we know. Uh, (laughs) I'm very lucky to have some great mentors. Sure.
1: Yeah. Where was the connection to Retail Toolkit? Were you a Retail Toolkit user in your business, or how did you get involved with that in the first place?
2: No. So I I knew of Retail Toolkit kind of mystically. Um, it was still when we had our business, it was still um, kind of a friends and family of of uh, Noel Kegels that were that had access to Retail Toolkit in our store. We had a store that was only. Uh, 30 minutes away from one of his, so I don't think he was actively recruiting his competition uh, <laughs> at that time. Um, Dan Kowalki, who was the, the general manager at the time, he reached out to me because Retail Toolkit providing the benchmarking platform for the NVDA P2 groups, and he saw a connection. He thought that would be a great place you know, to, for he and I to meet. And as soon as he described the product, I thought, where's this been all my life? I could have killed to have used this. And we just, we kind of carried on the conversation for about six months. And I finally said, I want to sell this. And that's, that's where we started. And that's how I was introduced to it. What's that, what's
3: that been like, you know, uh, shifting gears from retailer to thought leader to, you know, you know, you, you combined with consulting, to then advocating for a product and, and not just wanting somebody to be successful, but but talking about tools that you have to help somebody be successful.
2: Yeah, so it's, uh, there's definitely a balance. I don't want to oversell because I want them to trust, uh, to, to develop that trust. And occasionally there there are retailers that maybe it won't work for. They they just don't have the interest in, in diving that deep. The flip side is I, I really feel passionate about the the tool set because it can be of great use to a retailer and it's it's things that they don't typically have at their fingertips and if they do they really have to go you know in a roundabout process to dig up that information and I, I did it with columnar pads and, and calculators and pencils, and it would take forever. And now you can just look at a screen, and there's the information. So uh, I'm super passionate about it. Um, but try to have that balance and feel like I'm you know, consultatively selling them and not just trying to get the sale and run away. Because we want to keep in contact and develop a
3: relationship with them. Susie, you and I have talked about that kind of over the years and, and well, and just David, that's why you're just such a good fit for smart detailing, but you know, Susie, you know, it's uh you know, we're partners, you know, we're building, we're building long-term partnerships and mm-hmm. uh, but we're also asking for a fair exchange of value. Can I assume that you have that similar, well, you have a similar passion for what we do, but also the humility around asking somebody to, you know, buy something from you.
0: Yeah. If, if, if what we're suggesting doesn't make, them more successful than it doesn't make us more successful. Like it's,
1: yeah. Was it? Exactly. Um, th- th- this is getting kind of heavy, so let me lighten it up a bit. Uh, and Ryan's going to giggle at this. Was it hard for you to go from being the the business owner to being an employee? Because a lot of entrepreneurs <laughs> there's a there's an employment. And I grew up with an unemployable father. He had to do his own thing. Did you have any issue with that? As far as all of a sudden now I'm, you know, somebody's expecting me to do X, Y, Z, and it's not necessarily all in my control.
2: I definitely am. I I want to please, and I want to be, you know, um, delivering value to the team. So, you know, having that former business owner. Uh, viewpoint of it is I, I want to be valuable and and be part of the team, and Ryan and I had this conversation um, fairly deeply. Uh, you know, what is it like to move into being an employee? And for me, it's it hasn't been too big of a of a struggle. The team is uh, fantastic, and everybody, it, all four of us have worked in bike shops, um, so we all are very similar people with a similar passion. So it's not like I'm going into a, a brand new situation where I'm being, you know, driven to produce or anything like that. We're all on the same page. So it's, it's been neat and it's, it's so much more organized <laughs> than having had my own business, which, you know, was just always putting out fires. So it's no, it's, it's been, it's been challenging, but also really fulfilling too.
0: I have a super off topic question. Because I know we've kind of touched on how important we all feel the success of independent bicycle retailers are. And I think from my standpoint, too, like I just came from a local event last night and I think locally owned bike shops are pivotal in fostering like a a cool community culture and um, getting more people involved. How have you seen like the culture of bike shops change over your over time?
2: Boy, that's a that's a curveball question. I'm oh, sorry. I, I think that bike shops. No, I think that we've seen bike shops in some respects become more business mm-hmm. Certain certain bikes uh, bike businesses have become much more uh, commercialized. But generally speaking, I think that that cool bike shop vibe still exists in, in in almost all the stores that I go into because the people that are working there are very much into riding and they want to share that that excitement and that stoke to get people out there mm-hmm. riding um, so i think that the culture is still the same it's still around around riding bikes and you know in in the 30 years that i've been in it and for long before that bike shops on the back door after they closed people went for rides and they invited the, their friends and customers and that's still happening today mm-hmm. so I think that bike shops are still absolutely the foundation where most people, uh, develop their excitement for whatever, however they want to ride, whether it's just tootling along the bike path or they want to start racing. Um, somebody gave them the, the excitement and that was, that happened in a bike shop. Yeah.
0: Do you see more, more women involved? How was it hard to find women for, to employ at your bike shop?
2: Having my wife in the store, I think it made it much easier. So it, there, you know, the it wasn't as intimidating for females to come into the store and to want to work in the store. So they they, always, they already felt like they had an advocate, um, and the advocate was the owner. So I think that that helps tremendously. If it's just dudes, I think that it can make it harder um, for for a woman to kind of crack the mm-hmm. code. But in our situation, we always had um, women working in the store.
0: Yeah, I think as a I managed our bike shop as a, obviously as a woman, and I always had like the highest ratio of women employees as well. Compared to we we had three shops, the other ones were run by dudes. They had some ladies, but not as many. And so yeah, I, that's a really good point.
3: Yeah, I think I'm I'm ashamed to say that when I was when I was running stores, our ratio was not good. Uh, so i think i'm in hindsight i think i fell into that dude culture it's a, it's a hard
2: cycle to break you know and it, but having having women in the store makes it an enormous difference in that comfort level mm-hmm. and that's that was always uh i think just a pivotal part of our success was my wife you know we had all the different types of people that somebody would want to see and, and talk to when they came in the store. So it, it helps with customer comfort
3: too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what you said around kind of the bike shops being pivotal and uh, you know, it really does line up with where the market's going, you know, despite the fact that maybe, you know, bike shops is maybe more defined as bike business today. Um, you know, the, yeah, you know, it's it's also shifting towards the the fact that experience matters. So, like you know, obviously online shopping has become so much more prevalent, and in, in how consumers um, want to get their hands on products. But you know, bike shops are more than or are, are about more than just selling, and retail is about more than just selling. Now it is really about that engagement and building your brand. Um, so hopefully, those things that you talked about, you know, continue to grow uh, moving forward. Hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: This has been great, David. Thanks for taking the time. And, and welcome to Smarty Tailor. Uh, it's been great to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and look, one of the things that I do in training with people is um, it's easy to make a dollar in bicycle retail. And I do that to try and point out to our staff. That maybe doesn't understand if you sell a dollar's worth of stuff what's really left over so maybe you could join that next time and put a happier spin on it than maybe i do um and if anybody's got questions uh for david you can you can reach out to us at smart detailing i'll put his email address even though he doesn't know i'm about to say this i'll put his email address in the description down below if you have questions about uh whatever it is if it's bicycle retail in general or retail toolkit he is certainly our retail toolkit expert And can get you up to speed on that. Um, It's been fun. And and remember, this book ends too. While David grew a successful retail business and exited, and everything looks like roses and unicorns, I lost my life savings trying to own a bike shop. So if you need to know anything in the middle of that, we're here to help. (laughs) Any other questions? You succeeded Uh at
3: owning a bike shop, Mark. Yes. It's it's, it's just a profitable growth it's pesky money parts yeah, yeah yeah
1: and we had a ball and look and i'm super grateful because if it wasn't for that experience i wouldn't be at smart detailing so i don't ever complain about that it's it's uh something my wife and my wife worked there too not because she wanted to because so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she came to help i
2: think um, and, you know, but
1: anyway that's how we get here so yeah no no hard feelings but if you do want to talk to david and i about the gamut of what can happen with the money you put in the bike shop we're here to help any other questions or comments before we wrap it up?
3: You know, I just, you know, David, you, you said you moved to, you know, kind of more of the, the the west for access to the outdoors. Uh, give give us a quick rundown on like what what are your hobbies now that you've moved?
2: Mm-hmm. So we were always avid mountain bikers and. So that's that's kind of our main um, hobby, but hiking has really uh, ramped up. We we're very close to, to hiking. We can get out and have a beautiful hike in, in an hour's time. I um, Love fly fishing, so that's um, been something that I have a lot more access to out here. And that's it. Dogs and camping and some. Way to mix all of those activities is the uh, the perfect weekend or day.
3: Yeah.
2: Super.
1: All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll get this up and uh, ready for everybody to listen to. And if you ever call Smart Detailing and ask for David, there are three. Right? <laughs> if if they say which David, just say Safety Dave, and that'll get you to David DeKaiser <laughs> directly. And maybe he'll tell you why he's called Safety Dave.
3: Right. You're gonna regret over telling. Got to get activated. that. <laughs> Had to get that in there.
1: <laughs> we debated no ahead problem. of time and it didn't come up, so I wanted to make sure people knew who they were talking to. All right, hey, well, uh, thanks well thank to the party, time, <laughs> you. Uh, so
2: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.